Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe, and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products, and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also, check out the five-star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Come around here with his bloody podcasts. episode of Pablo's Poppin' Podcast. I hope everyone's doing okay. Now, this is one of those extra special episodes. Um, you can't see it because it's audio, but I'm actually wearing a tuxedo for this episode. It's quite special because my guest today is one of my absolute fucking heroes in life, Jason Faulkner. Now, I try not to come across too creepy when interviewing him. Um, I, think he, I think he very much enjoyed the interview, which is good, and I think he will as well. Uh, the music at the top of the show um, was The Swoop by Danny Henry and uh, you can find his music at, at dannyhenry.bandcamp.com one of the most fun musicians that I uh, have ever had the pleasure of uh, knowing and he has an incredible story to tell and he will be a guest on a future episode now lots of business to get out of the way I hope you'll stick with me while I get through this because it requires it requires your attention let's just say um, now you can check out previous episodes of Pablo's Pop and Podcast on the very website that you're on right now or on iTunes where you can subscribe leave all the beautiful reviews and everything and I've interviewed such artists as you may have heard of them um, Roger Joseph Manning Jr, Eric Dover uh, Joseph Kahn you know, separately and 
Antigever as Imperial Drag. Um, who else? Tim Smith, Chris Manning, uh, Craig Dorfman about the Jellyfish book, and uh, lots of Jellyfish related artists, uh, Robert Hecker. And I, I do actually, because I know there are lots of fans of Jason who aren't necessarily huge fans of Jellyfish. And I kind of explained this to him that, like, I don't help the situation, that the Jellyfish page that I run, and hello to everyone who uh, is listening from the Jellyfish page, um, the joining a fan page, Jellyfish News and Memories, it's just such a short, catchy title, um, that I kind of use Jellyfish as a blanket, <coughs> as he coughs, as a blanket term for the band, Jellyfish, and all of the respective members' work after that as well and I think everyone kind of gets that as well but um, yeah you know Jason we talk about so much stuff Jellyfish does obviously come up um, he was so giving with his time with really cool stories and everything and I'm, I'm not gonna build up the interview too much I think you'll enjoy it there are slight technical difficulties um, so I did have to hang up at one point um, and call back and stuff like that but you certainly don't miss um, anything um, from questions that I ask and answer that he gives and stuff like that. And uh, the cat, my cat, Chutney, uh, I wish you could see her. She's on the bed right now and she's probably going to jump off the bed. So you may hear a FUD on the floor uh, quite soon. Because uh, this isn't exactly a high-tech operation I have going on here. So uh, so now I'm going to pimp stuff to you. Um, <laughs> 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain. The sponsor at the start of the show, Andrew Kirshner. He is a friend. He is a collaborator. Uh, the piano that you heard in the background during the advert, that is him. And he plays on one of my EPs. Foreplay, which also involves Roger Joseph Manning Jr. and uh, many artists uh, of a similar ilk. And um, if you have everyday bike problems, do check out the book. Um, it's available at Amazon, as uh, the handsome young man said in the advert, it was me, spoilers. And um, you can also buy it on Kindle as well. And if you support the book, he continues to support the show. He is amazing and um, I don't know what I do without him and it really does help keep the show running. So also if you would like to help keep me running and keep a house above really the cat's head. I, I, I think the cats wouldn't care if I lived outside as long as I fed them you know twice a day. Um, you can find my music at toxicmelons.bandcamp.com. I know a lot of you may already own stuff. Um, for those who pledged during the uh, the four-player Kickstarter, which seems like a million years ago now, I still have a few that I need to send out, which is not good, uh, but I don't want to incur too much wrath of people. Um, I kind of forgot, and I know that's horrible, so yeah, do bear with me, everyone that doesn't have one yet who ordered one will get one. There's not many people, but yes, um, I do apologize profusely uh, for that. But otherwise, check out my music, Toxic Melons. If you like, basically, if you like jellyfish, I rip them off. And um, and I have artists like, you know, Lines of Hollywood, Eric Dover, Roger, uh, Fernando Bodomo, Chris Price, um, all kinds of names involved in that. So I, uh, yeah, do really appreciate it. Now, what else is there? What else is there before I get straight into the, because I know what you're thinking. You're here for Jason. You're not here for me to rant on. Um, <laughs> I'm going to actually play you a song from a friend because I do like to showcase friends, especially on shows like this can, that can potentially get more listens than other shows. And um, yeah, so I think that's pretty much it. If I think of anything else, in terms of guests, like I do have another podcast, which is a wrestling-based podcast, where I've been very lucky to get really well-known names in the world of wrestling. I know it's a very odd two 
types of podcasts to have together, but it's on the same page as the one that you're listening to now. Um, so if you like wrestling, do check that out. If I can think of anything else, I will let you know. Um, so yes, do obviously stay tuned for the Jason interview. It's not live radio, it's a bloody podcast. You could pause it. You could pause it for four years and come back to it and it'll still be here. Um, but before that, Blue Canary, one of... Harry Burgess is one of the smartest... Uh, you know, um, what's the word? What's the word? Smartest and oh, sophisticated. I would say he's going to get really embarrassed by that. But they're songwriters that I know, and you know, I rank him up there with Jason Faulkner. I think he's amazing, um, and I hope you do too. And that is high praise. I'm probably building him up too much, but uh, I can't build him up enough because he, he is wonderful. So yes, his band Blue Canary has an album out called In Electric Bethlehem link below the show to listen to the full album and buy it which you should uh this is a song called fear of sleep and then we'll be going straight into my interview with some dude uh you may have heard of him called jason Falker. i can remember absolutely everything young man that's my curse that's one of the greatest curses ever inflicted on the human race memory i've lost my mind so many times of fits and pauses I've joined a circus in a bit to find the causes.
important. Most of my friends have already finished college. I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd fire, fire, fire. So with me this week on Pablo's Poppin' Podcast, I use the word hero very, uh, you know, uh, not very often. Um, he was voted uh, the most handsome member of Jellyfish on the Jellyfish page that I run. He is one of the greatest musicians and songwriters in the world. Jason Faulkner, hello. How are you? I'm good. I, I, I start off the uh, the podcast with lots of um, compliments and then it can go downhill from there, you see. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm the the most handsome thing. Will stick with me for a little while, so I'm good. <laughs> um, I can't I can't be hurt at this point. Well, yeah, it it was a, it was a, a vicious battle. Roger won best hair. See, as you can tell, we had run out of things to talk about by this point, so we started right. doing uh, polls right, right. on uh, things like this. But um, yeah, so uh, where are you, where are you uh, calling from at the moment? Uh, I'm in my studio in in uh, Los in Silver Lake, California, Los Angeles. Um, I have a I have a little house um, in the hills, and my basically my house is a recording studio with one room that has a bed in it. But every single room in this house has just chock full of gear, and it's a disease really at this point. Um, <laughs> does your but, yeah. does your lady sort of uh, she's sick of it now? Does she want room to? No, because she's also a musician, so she's in heaven. Oh, okay. like she she hit she had the, the she had paid her with uh, with with this because yeah she's. It's funny that uh, she um, is also a you know kind of into production and engineering and all that stuff. So our our pillow talk is literally about uh, old Neumann microphones and things and vintage recording consoles. So <laughs> no, she's she's very she's very happy with this situation. Okay, that's good. At least uh, that's what she said. Well, I mean, you have to tell her that she bagged the most handsome member of Jellyfish as well. And, um, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So we have uh, we do have lots of fan questions. That I put it to fans because you know you've done a lot of interviews, and it's kind of it is kind of hard to sort of um, ask unique things without being completely ridiculous, I guess. So we will get to fan questions uh, immediately because I'd imagine it gets to the point where you're probably sick of doing interviews, or have you not reached that point yet? But, uh, no, I, well, it, it it just depends on the era. I mean, certain certain points of my life were were just there was just constant interviews and stuff. And but uh, at this point, no, I mean, it, this is this is not a, a, a daily occurrence for me. So everything's fine. Okay, this is good. Um, but, so um, yeah. I remember when I came to see you uh, play in London um, a few years ago. Now um, you talked about you living in London when you were sixteen uh, for a few months. So how did yeah. that how did that come about? Uh, my dad was a professor of fine art at Pepperdine University out here in Malibu, and um, he was on sabbatical. He took the family, minus my older sister, but uh, my he took my, my mom and my little brother and myself to uh, to England for we were in England for about five months uh, in London, and then we traveled around. Um, of course, my dad procured a um, Sherlock Holmes hat while he was in, <laughs> in London, uh -huh. and then he proceeded to wear that hat all over Europe. So it was very much like the uh, European vacation movie with Chevy Chase. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad, my dad being Chevy Chase. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we then traveled around, you know, uh, all over Europe for like another two months. So I was gone 
for about seven months, <clears throat> which was incredible. I mean, it was, this was a long time ago, right? Cause I'm, I'm getting up there. So this was like in 84, right? Yeah. So I was 16 and I was, you know, imagine London in 84. I mean, it was still like the, it was still very much like the, the kind of a, the punk and the post-punk bands were, were still hadn't gone away yet. So they were all still playing shows. So I saw, I saw incredible shows back then. I saw killing joke. I yeah. saw, um, uh, the damned. I saw, um, the fall. Um, I just saw a bunch of great, you know, sort of bands that I was already really into. I just couldn't believe I was in the, you know, their land. And, um, uh, also had a really cool moment. Cause I, my, my favorite band of that era is the monochrome set. And I was lost, you know, I would just, I was wild, like wildly independent when I was a teenager. And, um, so I would just, I was never with my family. I didn't see big band. I didn't do any of that shit. I just went, um, off on my own and just got lost every day. And, um, I remember I saw in, in, in the enemy or something that the monochrome set were playing a show, but it wasn't in London, but I didn't know the difference. You know, I didn't really know where, how <laughs> it's, far. It's all London really. Were. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At that point, and um, so I'm like, I'm at Piccadilly, the underground, and I'm like, ask. I'm trying to stop people and ask them where this venue is, and people are like, I don't know what you're talking about, and then I'm, they're, they're like, and I asked some somebody something, and they said, oh, well, you're gonna have to go to to a left to oh, I was pointing at the what I was pronouncing as Leicester Square, <laughs> right? Okay. And then the, and then somebody was like, oh, the, you mean Leicester Square? And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, no, that's pronounced Leicester Square. And then that's when, it first, when I first realized that the guitar player from the monochrome set, whose name was L-E-S-T-E-R Square. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, my God, okay, this guy's even more of a genius than I thought. Um, but, yeah, missed them because they were playing probably in Manchester or something. I had no idea. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really fun time, so that's why we were over there. We lived in um, Highgate Village right near the Highgate Cemetery, and, um, La -di -da. man, it was just, yeah. it was just heaven. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a nice area as well, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It was very nice. Um, mm. so was that, um, your first real exposure to British, uh, culture, I guess, because, you know, obviously with, like, the British invasion and all that kind of thing, and there was, like, a second British invasion in the 1980s, like, were you in America when that happened, or were you actually in Europe? Well, I mean, I was, you know, when I was a teenager, I guess the, the once I sort of drifted away from the classic rock um, that was that was just permeating the airwaves here. Mm -hmm. um, there was a radio station here called K Rock. It still exists, but it's a shadow of its former self. Um, but they used to play <laughs> all sorts of cool stuff that was not, you know, not mainstream. And yeah. there was a DJ named Rodney Bingenheimer, um, who was basically our John Peel. Yeah, and um, he used to play, you know, everything from, you know, the, the slits and the damned and all that stuff. And, and then he would play, I mean, he was definitely a champion of the kind of the British punk and post-punk um, thing. So I was already just well into the sort of the music coming out of, out of the UK, but uh, certainly hadn't had any experience with the culture. So it was, it was kind of like, you know, I was already signed up. So it was, it was a real just an amazing experience for me at 16 to be like pretty independent, 
just cruising around London and <laughs> getting in trouble. And <laughs> you know, it, was, it was fantastic. So did did you? Do- I, and in fact, I even Go for it. I even spoke with a fake I even spoke with a fake British accent a little bit of that a little bit of that <laughs> that time. I remember walking into a fish and chip places and. <laughs> trying to order fish and chips with a, with a fake accent. I'm like, oh, I can't get a fucking, you know, and they're like, what, excuse me? <laughs> like, no, oh, seriously, it's just I want that, you know, and they're like, okay, man, how do you really talk? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone sounds like, uh, well, see, that's the thing, when I, um, I have a, well, I used to have like a strong uh, Newcastle accent, which um, I don't know if anyone's really translated and in, you know into America with a strong accent. Like Sting has kind of toned down his accent, and uh, you know right. uh, Mark Knopfler and people like that. But uh, from talking to a lot of Americans, I've kind of given myself sort of like self elocution lessons, um, just so right, I can, right. just so I can be understood. Of, of like either that, or I start going into the you know the Dick Van Dyke, Mary Poppins, uh, where there's right. n- th- there's no actual consonants in the in the sentences just like you know. yeah. yeah it's like a, like a really bad cockney <laughs> and and some people yeah. actually genuinely understand that as well and some people get offended by it but um like you know what why don't you call me and i'm just like no i was just making random random vowel noises but um <laughs> so when you know uh, back then uh, did you pursue any um, musical projects when you were in europe then was there any did you meet up with no musicians? i mean no not not at all I, I i would have loved that but no i was it was a pretty isolated experience i mean i i made a couple of friends there um mm-hmm. i met these two lads at <laughs> at a david johansson show at, at at the um what was that place uh dingwalls in uh, camden and um they invited me to come down and stay with them for you know as, as long as i wanted to uh down they were down in blackpool right yeah so i I organized uh, the, the, I think it's the Green Line bus, um, some, some sort of bus, and I took took that down to meet, meet my new pals and um, hung out with them. And just all, all all we did that whole time I was down there with them was watch Hawkwind videos. Um, they were kind of these <laughs> these uh, roll your own hippie kind of dudes. Um, but uh, no 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 music. I mean, I was starting to write songs then, and I had my I had my little Rickenbacker guitar, my little uh, model Ricky. Yeah. Um, so, so, and there's some classic pictures of me uh, that I'm pretty sure I know exactly where they are. Um, I could send you one of those um, where I'm like sitting on the bed in, in, in my little, in the little flat in, in uh, Camden or in Highgate with my guitar and my ridiculous, like white captain sensible glasses. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great, but yeah, it was a very, uh, it was a very uh, kind of lonely existence, actually, because I just I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I I feel like I should change the subject. We went on a downer there. Um... Yeah, I was, it was really depressing. <laughs> um, so um, I know that you you know you played uh, piano quite young as well, but at that time were you kind of uh, focusing? Did you want to start like a guitar based band um, back then? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. So the piano thing, yeah, I was, I was kind of, um, you know, I, 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 I guess I displayed a, uh, a propensity for the piano at a very young age. So my parents put me in uh, classical piano lessons starting at age six. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I think I had quit that right before we went to England. Cause you know, it was about nine or 10 years studying that. And, um, I was really good at, at piano and, and I was probably my teacher's sort of star pupil but i 
always wanted wanted an electric guitar. I always wanted to play the guitar. It's just infinitely sexier than the piano. And um, yeah, I you know I, I can't really argue that. So <laughs> um, I I had a band. See, I got my guitar when I was about. 13 I think was when my parents finally caved in and gave me a guitar for Christmas and um, I had bands like immediately because I had a friend down the street that also got a guitar right around the same time so the two of us you know started a, a band and then we we had a then we quickly kind of went from trying to learn how to play Hotel California which is near impossible <laughs> when you first get a guitar um <laughs> And we got really into punk and stuff. So and then all of a sudden, oh, I can, we can play all of this. And um, so, yeah, I had a band in junior high school. And then I had a, a little punk band um, uh, called The Barking Spiders, which Brilliant. was a fantastic name, yeah. if, you, if, I, if I do say so myself. And, um, <laughs> and we, yeah, we just kind of played punk stuff, um, a lot of L.A. punk stuff, like um, adolescence and circle jerks and all that stuff. And then, um, and then we started getting more into, uh, a little bit more adventurous stuff like English beat and, and, um, stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, so when I was, but I, that was all like covers. And so I didn't really start re- kind of writing songs on guitar until I was probably about 15. And, um, I was like, Oh, I, this is, I can, I can manage this. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I was always looking for other sort of like-minded people, and at that young, very young age, it was really hard to find anybody who had any aptitude whatsoever on an <laughs> instrument. I mean, I remember my first bands; <clears throat> I was always teaching, like each guy in the band how to play their instrument because I had, I was already a pretty good drummer because I had drums when I was about eight, uh-huh. nine, so I could I could definitely play the drums. And, you know, bass to me is just a very obvious extension of guitar. Um, and um, so, yeah, all my all my early bands, I was probably the most frustrating kind of, uh, you know, dictator telling everybody <laughs> how to play their instruments. Um, and uh, I understand. Yeah. I completely understand. Well, I don't know if you know uh, a musician slash comedian called Tim Minchin. Um, he, if you don't, I'll, I will send you this song. He had a song called Rock and Roll Nerd and uh, it's about himself and there's a line that says, uh, he always wanted to be a star but he learned piano instead of guitar which in the 90s didn't get you very far. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I, I will have to, I'll have to send you that. But um, So when you were uh, when you were young but as a writer, so, did it get frustrating if a member left and then you had to teach another member the same song over and over again sort of thing? Like, did that happen often? Oh. Not because you were like a um, dictator, just because, you know, just because people had to leave for various reasons. Yeah. Right. Kids, kids want, kids want to go play soccer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a little bit. My first, that started out as a three piece and then, uh, which was kind of amazing. We were playing these punk rock songs, but the keyboard player or the bass player was playing a uh, Prophet One keyboard. Uh, so, so, <laughs> like, so it was like sounded like the B fifty twos playing like playing the germs. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But um, um, yeah. I mean, and then and then I, that band turned into a five piece, and uh, you know, those guys kind of stuck around for a long time. So it wasn't until um. We played a 
this was kind of a, a pivotal moment. We played a um, like a like a pep rally, which is like an like a an assembly at school where like maybe they <coughs> they take all the kids out of like the first class of the day, and everybody goes to the gymnasium, and there's like a little pep rally. It's to get like school spirit going and all that shit. And so they asked my band see my band everybody else in the band was two years older than me i was always the little kid uh, and um but but i was the singer and the, and the lead guitar player and um so i remember one day it was like it was only like two two or three weeks into the into my freshman year of high school which um it's got to be the same over there but you know once you leave like an earlier version of school like junior high school or or whatever and then you go to go doesn't matter what your situation was like in junior high school you start all over again when you when you enter this next phase of school where yeah. <laughs> where there's a lot more kids it's a bigger campus and you start all over as far as like your you know the people's awareness of you because in junior high school my band was playing and we were like the band in 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 the school yeah but then in high school now all of a sudden there's more kids there's other bands blah 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 and, and uh, so i remember the keyboard player, bass player in the band was like, Oh, um, tomorrow we're playing in this pep rally. And I'm like, what, um, what are we playing? And he's like, well, let's play moving in the bathroom by the English beat. And we're going to play stray cat strut by the stray cats. And these were all songs that we had just started learning that summer. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so, <clears throat> excuse me. So, I went home and, you know, there's no internet. So I, I don't even, and I didn't even have the records or anything. So I didn't, I was always singing these songs kind of phonetically because I didn't know the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So I went home and tried to like bone up on these lyrics. And we played this thing. And in the breaks in the Stray Cat Strut song, um, there's these breaks where it was just a vocal. And so it was just me singing. Every single girl in the, in the whole student body stood up and screamed. It was like the Beatles. <laughs> And like, for real, it was the most insane thing. Okay. And again, like I said, you know, you're starting all over in junior, in, in high school and I don't know anybody and, and all this stuff. And it was just, I was instantly like, like a celebrity in school mm. after that. And this was like, you know, I'm like 15. And, um, so that was like a real kind of like a really validating thing as far as like, Oh, this band stuff is going to work. Um, I always knew it was going to work and I, I didn't, I wasn't doing it. You know, I've always been like, like honestly, just all about the music and not about the, you know, adorational and stuff. Although that doesn't hurt, but uh, this was just like adoration overload. Um, <laughs> so it, it felt pretty good. So but, the, uh, there were never any other. Sorry, go for it. Well, no, I was just going to say. So after that, um, I was embraced by the cool intelligentsia at the school like yeah. the guys that were into you know the fall and cool cool things and and my band was i was kind of outgrowing that group of guys because they were just kind of you know not not the coolest guys and um uh -huh. so i remember this is an amazing story i remember this kid he's older than me but this guy came up to me and i had noticed him already he wrote he wrote a vespa scooter and he wore like a jump, wore like weird, like milkman jumpsuits. He was just like this weirdo guy. Uh -huh. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey man, you're pretty good, but your band's gay. You know, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, and he's like, he's like, you want to be in my band? And I'm like, 
I was basically like, yeah, like I don't even care what the music is, you know. <laughs> and he gives me a tape, gives me a cassette tape. It's just a blank white cassette tape. And um, I go home and listen to it, and I lost my mind. I could not believe this music, right? It was like avant-garde pop music that sounded like it was recorded in a bedroom and just like, what the hell is going on here? So I went, you know, ran up to him the next day at school. I'm like, dude, what is, th what is this? But here's the funny thing. The, the tape sounded like, it didn't like sound like the same band always. It's yeah. like, it sounded like a few different things. And, um, but he advertised it as being his band. So I was like, what is the deal with this? And I, oh, and I also heard like scratches from a record, you know, like before the songs. So I'm like, have you guys made a record? And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, well, yeah, I'm in, you know. And um, I, I then, much to my dismay, went to the first rehearsal of me being in the band, and it clearly wasn't the same guys in the garage <laughs> as, as this music that was on this tape. So anyway, but I, I didn't care really because I just it was such a weird, cool racket that these guys were making. So that was my band from like. 15 to 16 or something 15 but until I left for England and then uh <clears throat> yeah so, so then when I came back from England yeah go ahead oh no 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 um go for it I don't want to interrupt like uh well no I didn't even I don't know what I was going to say after coming well I, I mean when I came back from England I guess I stayed in that band for a little while and then at, shortly after that I I, I uh, did the whole thing where I went up to Alaska right after high school and worked in a cannery and then when I came home from that that's when I got serious and found other bands to be in so um, which we can get into there was <laughs> like I, i'm not going to go through like every single part of your career as well because like we'll be here for until midnight right. my time and you know we've already had problems with the daylight saving like th that's the thing i never mind it but americans seem to hate this daylight saving thing like is it like a big issue oh <laughs> no all right okay <laughs> not not this not this American. Okay. Every, everyone I've seen on Facebook just seems to hate it. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just hanging out with a, a really uh, really angry mob, I guess. But uh, they, don't, <laughs> they don't seem to like it. Um, so it, there was never any any other career path in mind? You never wanted to be like a dentist or a, I don't know, a vet <laughs> or like a tree surgeon or something like that? It was always musician. Uh, no, no, def definitely always music. I mean, you know, I was... I mean, the reason the reason my parents put me in the piano lessons when I was six is is that even before I could even before I could like reach the piano, I was like standing at the piano with my hands above my head playing the piano, and I was I was already figuring out like crocodile rock and stuff, and and my parents were like, oh, uh, this 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 kid needs to be in some music. This kid's got some music in him. Uh, so it was just it was almost like um, predestined in in my in, and in my mind as well. Like I never even considered anything else you know hmm. it was just oh this is what i'm going to do i was extremely rebellious i was always grounded i was always in trouble with my family and stuff and um but music was the thing where i was like look this is i'm gonna be all right you guys like i'm going to be um you know i'm gonna have a a life in music it's gonna be fine I guess who was right <laughs> um so was uh, uh, um for those who don't know, I'm guessing three o'clock was your, I guess, big break. Um, before that, it was actually before that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, no, I'm, uh, I was going to say, uh, was there anything before that in terms of potential? Something? Yeah, there was. 
It was actually when, when I was uh, 17. Um, so I guess like, yeah, the next school year after I came back from England, um, my friend from Hollywood, I, I would always, I was always going into Hollywood going to going to clubs and stuff. And my friend was like, Hey man, you want to, I just joined this, this band community FK, which was like this kind of goth kind of sounded like a cross between killing joke and joy division and, and Bowie or something. It was like a, a real kind of <clears throat> more, more on the killing joke side, but yeah. there was definitely some Bowie to the guy singing and stuff. Um, and uh, he's like, and I knew the band because I, because that same DJ Rodney on the rock, Rodney Bingenheimer used to play Kimmy FK and there was this really haunting kind of dark stuff. And I was kind of into it. <laughs> and so, um, he asked me if I wanted to join that band and I was 17 still in high school. And all of a sudden I was in this band that was, you know, like a real, like kind of Hollywood, like kind of drug, like scary, scary kind of druggy band. <laughs> and, um, and I, yeah, I was in that band all of a sudden. And, oh, and we had to lie to the singer because the singer I think was 35 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was 17. And so my friend was like, look, if you, when we go in there, just say you're 21. Like you're not 17. Cause the, the guy will fucking lose his mind. If, if he finds <laughs> out that you're, that you're a teenager. Um, I, I'm guessing though, yeah, seven, got, I'm guessing at 17 as well. You were a pretty young looking 17. Like I'm guessing you got ID'd like until you were like 28 or something. Cause you just look. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was still getting, I was still getting ID'd for cigarettes at, at like 38. <laughs> Take it and as cigar- a compliment. Cigarettes are, yeah. yeah. Well, I did. I did. <laughs> um, so I'm like, I still walk in with my ID on. I'm like, anybody? Um, but no, they don't, they don't, they don't ID me anymore. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, that was, um, that was a very interesting thing. And in fact, that band opened up at the university of San Diego. We opened up for the Jesus marriage and I believe it was their first or second trip to America. Mm-hmm. Um, back still when the Reed brothers played with the back to the audience and when Bobby Gillespie was the drummer, Yeah, and, you know, very early on, uh, it was like 85 and, um, and it was was funny, as you know, I played with Bobby and Town Screen and um, uh, on the last two records, and um, and so I was c- coming down to the studio once when they were out here recording, and it's like five years ago, and I had forgotten about that show that I did opening up for them, and so I was like, oh my god, I pulled into the studio and I went in, and I'm like, Bob, do do you remember? Did you do you remember playing in L.A. or in San Diego with? with the Mary chain in like the mid eighties. And he's like, I remember that kid. I think I remember that kid. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I was, just, I was in the opening band. I was the bass player. And we were just laughing so hard. Like what? <laughs> How is that possible? But now we're, you know, working together. As well. and but, uh, do you find so that was the band right before, yeah. before the free o'clock. So like, do you find now, like as a observer, like it seems like a lot of, things that you have done uh in the past have kind of come full circle again because I, I i like i'm a huge fan but i don't know like everything about you sort of thing compared to um some people um but i saw like yeah. a picture of you with uh michael uh Quercio not long ago and um was that like the first time you'd seen him for a while or had you seen each other yeah 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 no i hadn't seen i hadn't seen michael in ages and i i never uh I'd never been on stage with Lewis, the the original guitar player from Three Clock, 
Um, and Louis, you know, I mean, Louis and I just got on like gangbusters. It was so nice to see Michael too. It was really a sweet, sweet reunion for that Kinks thing a couple weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, no, there's a ton of crazy things in my life where I'm connected with or reconnected with things that meant a lot to me. I mean, there's a lot of friendships that I have with people like Andy Partridge or, Mm. you know, um, Ian McNabb or, you know, all these people that I, that I just love. And I can't even believe that I'm, you know, I got a package the other day from Lester square, <laughs> you know, that, that guy um, <laughs> sent, sending me his record and he's a fan. And I'm just like, this is just bonkers to me, you know? Mm. Uh, oh, and Colin from Colin from wire. I gave him a, uh, I, I did a, they asked me to play um, in the wire in the pink flag orchestra which is just like every guitar player ever known to man gets up on stage with wire and does that song yeah. and um i gave colin my record i did with our stevie moore and he wrote me back like a couple of weeks later he's like i can't stop playing this this is amazing and i'm just like this that's that's colin newman from wire <laughs> like fr- freaking out about something i gave him which just i can't even tell you how satisfying all that I, is i i know I, I, I absolutely get it when i've sent uh, stuff to you know i'm lucky that i've been able to contact you know without embarrassing you too much like my heroes and when yeah. i show them some of my music and they tell me they like it or whatever or even perform on it it just it blows my mind that that has even been able to happen sort of thing because right. you know, um so uh, like i when did you uh discover um our stevie more than was it in was it around that mid-80s period uh no it was much later it was probably um um, let's see the first time I noticed him, I was at a record shop that was going out of business here in, in LA mm-hmm. and, um, I was just rifling through all the stuff and I saw, uh, saw a stack of 10 inch records. So I started looking through those and I saw this weird record that would look like the cover was just a piece of paper. that was like a Xerox uh-huh. and it, and it was the, it was the revolt, the Beatles revolver cover, but a bunch of the faces were changed to this weird looking guy with like these odd shaped glasses and a beard. And I'm like, what, who the hell would like, I was like, who the hell would do that? Like, that's, that's pretty ballsy. Um, so I was like, well, I'll take that. So, and I took that home and, and it was, it was RCV more revolve. And, um, I, so that's the first time I heard of him. And then I became friends with this guy, Ariel pink. And he and I used to drive around together a lot. And I remember, listening to his stuff that he was doing, which was just super amazing, strange, you know, bedroom stuff. And I was like, what are you into? Man? I can't even tell what you're into. And he was like, well, I really like this guy, R. Stevie Moore. And I'm like, what? Like, cause I'd never heard anybody mention that guy's name. Uh-huh. And this, this was like in the late, this would have been like in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really the first time I heard about Stevie. So how did you first, I mean, he would go for it. Sorry. No, I was just going to say he was probably, you know, he was at, about as subterranean as it gets, you know. Yeah. Um, the fact that I even found that 10 inch was a miracle. I mean, really, this was, this was before his resurgence of the last you know, 10 years where there's a lot of awareness of him now. There was no awareness of this guy. Well, I was going to say, then. you're obviously, you know, well connected in the music industry, but how did you find, um, how did you find our Steve Moore? Because like with, with you guys, it kind of blew my mind that musicians who I am blown away by could 
exist on social media and are contactable sort of thing? Was that the case with uh, with Stevie? Was he just on social media? Yeah, yeah I, I'm pretty sure he sent me a message on MySpace back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And he said, he was like, you know, just sent me some message. And I was like, that's, wait, that's RC, what? <laughs> and so we just started, we just started communicating. And again, like, when I first, got, you know, got on these social media things, I was, I, I was kind of like, okay, well, this is, this is for a lot of like, like seemingly for a lot of kind of lonely people to connect and all that stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. not really my cup of tea as far as that kind of, validation aspect of it the look at me aspect of it I, I, ne- I never really i don't really get that but it didn't dawn on me that oh i could actually reach out to people people that i admire and maybe they'll reach back who knows <laughs> and um so he did that and that started a uh, kind of a pen pal dialogue and then um it wasn't until i guess the first time we met was when he came out here to record with ariel um, this thing that ended up being called the Ku Klux Glam <laughs> sessions, which is definitely a Stevie title. Uh-huh. And, um, and, um, and so, uh, yeah, and they, they, they contacted, uh, Ariel and Stevie started calling me going, Hey, can we come over to your place and record? And I was like, man, I, I had just got this new, um, new vintage recording console. It wasn't even really set up yet. But they were so insistent. That, excuse me. That I finally had them come over, and uh, we ended up recording that stuff, which turned out to be that seven-inch uh, yeah. with the song "Dutch Me" and um, "No Zipper" and all this stuff. And and that's when Stevie and I were like, so that's when we first really met. And that's and while while we were recording that stuff, Stevie kept looking at me, going, "We have to do this. We have to do another one of these, just you and me." And I'm like. Absolutely, man. So that's you know that was the the spark for what became Make It Be a couple of years later. Beautiful. Well, with um, I mean, obviously uh, Stevie. I mean, he's so savvy, and I can imagine that he um, really understood the power of social media very early on, sort of thing. So was you know for for yourself who doesn't maybe necessarily use social media as much was there a kind of a a moment when you realized that you could connect to fans in the sense of like not in a cynical way but to like promote what you're doing and uh actually reach out and all that kind of thing because it seems like with roger with the glamping ep he really maybe even for the first time has really embraced that right well uh i still I still find it just a, it's just a, it's, it's such a clogged, mm. uh, artery, you know, to be, I mean, it really is at this point, it's so hard to get anything above the din of this just constant information from everyone all the time. And, you know, people clamoring for, for, for the most likes and all that shit. Um, but it's great to, yeah, it's certainly great to be able to just let people know what's going on and also just people have to have act the access is great hmm. you know um that that access didn't exist before um and uh, you know just to be able to share a song or a part of a song with people and get a get a reaction immediately is is you know kind of kind of a revelation coming from the the old the way it used to be which was like you know finish your record 
wait for, wait three to nine months before the label gets their shit together to put it out. And then, and then it's just this one shot, put it out. And then like, boom, you know, I do, I do miss a little bit, um, you know, being that I'm not signed to the label or anything right now, I do kind of miss the, the, the kind of gravity of, of an actual record being released. Like, I feel like there's something, uh, very powerful in that. And whether or not the record performs the way you think it should or, or, or hope it does, um, it, there's still, you know, that, that, those roads were not nearly as, as um, traffic jammed as, as the social media road, um, you know, so no, I, get it. I, I kind of, I, I kind of like that yeah. aspect. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to self put out anything. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still going to find You know, I'm still looking for a label and stuff to do my next record. And I'll, I'll definitely find somebody because it's just, you know, and of course you can do both, mm-hmm. but I like to have something, out there and I still like tangible, you know, I, I like LPs and all that stuff. So, uh, that was the, and it's hard to go for it. Sorry. Oh, I just, I was just going to say, it's hard to do that by yourself. It's really hard to sell your own LPs. I mean, we, we, we all know that it's, it's just like, you know, they cost a lot to make and you know, you sell, you can sell a hundred LPs maybe on your own and that's, you know, it's not, it's just not worth it. Well, I was you know? going to so, ask like from viewing Roger's, uh, glamping uh, campaign, which was like highly successful, whether that had influenced you in any way to maybe do that, but obviously, uh, absolutely but, not. No, <laughs> no. All I'm saying not is, Roger sold his trousers, and people paid like five grand for them. That's all I'm going to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, see that to me, that's like that's like some weird. To me, that's like embarrassing. <laughs> like, I'm I'm, I'm not going to do that stuff. See, I've I've got to say, like I, you know. Uh, you've seen parts of my collection. I, I, you know, I'm modest about it, but I do have like a large jellyfish collection. I drew the line at paying five grand for Rogers pants. Um, yeah. <laughs> one, I can't fit into them. Uh, cause who can? Yeah, yeah. Um, and two, you know, I, it, well, two, it was five grand and three, you know, um, uh, it's a used pair of pants. Um, yeah, <laughs> so no one's come. Like, for, no, yeah. no, no one's come forward yet to uh, say that they own any of the uh, the pants that Roger sold. Uh, <laughs> um, which you would think <laughs> on the jellyfish page, you would think someone would want to show those uh, show those suckers off. Maybe, but um, maybe he didn't sell them. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Oh, it's <laughs> always possible. Mm, see, that's the thing with the jellyfish page. We want news all the time. That could be a scoop. Roger didn't sell his own pants. Um, he didn't really sell them. Uh, well, he just burned them. <laughs> I would, I would actually like to have seen that. I think that'd have been hilarious. Um, so, um, I think that would probably be the the catharsis he needs actually to get over that shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I've met. Well, I've met you as well, and I've tried not to come across like the whole Kathy Bates in misery type fan. You know, the yeah. whole. You know, I, no, have... I remember I saw you at the at the Newcastle. Show, or, I'm sorry, the Manchester show. Yeah, for uh, Beck, but I also saw you in London as well. Um, when you did your London gig, that was the first time I. Had, oh, uh... at, the, at, at that little at that pub. Mm-hmm. Um, that the Islington. In Islington, yeah, and t-shirts were made. I have one of those t-shirts, um, and you know, I, I I try to be not too precious about it in the sense that I actually want to wear it because I realise that I've got so many like 
uh, practical things like mugs and t-shirts and stuff that I don't actually use when I should actually be using them. Um, right. You know, uh, <laughs> so... Um, I love that. I don't want to, like, obviously focus on jellyfish too much, but I'd get killed if I don't ask you yeah. questions. But um, with... Because uh, I interviewed uh, Craig Dorfman. He was actually one of the first guests uh, who I ever interviewed. Um, without, like, going too far into it, was it a surprise and was it difficult to really go into some of the stuff in that book? Because I... I my mind was blown reading some of that. Um, yeah, I haven't even read the book, but I, yeah, the, the interviews, yeah, I mean, Craig, Craig came out a few times. I think we sat, talked for, I mean, I talked for hours each time he was out. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, a couple, a couple of times I, I remember getting a little, just, just kind of like all of a sudden I just kind of hit a wall where I was just kind of angry and just, just kind of remembering a lot. That stuff, but, uh, mm-hmm. so unfortunate. Like, I mean, maybe the heels of that or some of the draws of that band is that it was like this wildly dysfunctional thing. But we made this, you know, somewhat um, some some good good stuff. And uh, I don't certainly not all of it, but uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, I just. I think it's cool that people still care about that band, but I, I, people care about that band more than I do. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, you know, I, I ran away from that group and I, and I feel like I've done, I mean, most of my fans are like that. Nobody, nobody even talks about jellyfish. They're like, they're, it's, it's just all about my stuff. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I find that that, like, even when I was in that band, it was like, their their process, their way of writing and arranging and stuff was so derivative of stuff that we all liked. And there was a lot of sitting around listening to other music and then kind of aping certain things. And that's never been a style that I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I'm creating music, I'm not listening to anything else and I'm not thinking about anything else really hone in on on something you know unique about whatever chords i've come up with or lyric or whatever and um not everybody works like that a lot of people are very kind of like this needle drop um you know uh uh, technique where it's like just listen to listen to music and then let's do something like this right here let's do something like this and it's like it's just so weird to me um and I mean, that, so that was kind of like a fundamental rub that I had with that band from the very beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, so, and then just the personalities, man, it was just like really difficult to exist in that band. Um, yeah, it seemed, it and, seemed, and like I said, the book was far more kind of intense than I ever dreamed that it would be. But I, I think that the good thing about the book is that, it kind of once you read it, you you realize okay, there's not really probably going to be a a proper reunion, and for good reason right. and all that kind of thing. And and the thing is as well, the great thing about you know all the members of Jellyfish, but also you know um, everyone who worked with Jellyfish as well, is that you all have this amazing catalog of your of your own music as well. And you know I I think the there's probably 
maybe just as much people want to see reunions. I mean, of Jellyfish, Imperial Dragon, for all that kind of stuff. Um, but there are just as many, if not more, people who are just happy that new stuff is coming out because that's really how it should be. And But it is always a treat when we see like you and Roger on stage together and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, Roger and I are probably two, two of the most different people uh, that could ever even be associated with, with one another. I mean, you know, we're, we're just, like, sometimes impossibly different. Um, and um, you know, so, like, I don't even, like, the whole, like, offshoot of jellyfish stuff, it's like, to me, that's not even, like, an origin uh, or, or a, you know, it's not even, like, a... A, pl a place that I came out of and have gone on to do all this stuff. It's like, that's just one little thing that I did in my opinion, but I know that it, I know that it made an impact and I, and I appreciate that of course, but, and I, and I do like, you know, a lot of what we did. Um, but it's just one thing for me as opposed to like, I mean, I've put out a lot more stuff than anybody else. Uh, I, post yeah. that band. Yeah. You know, and I, I was signed like right afterwards with a different band and then, and then solo right after that. Um, and uh, that's what I always wanted to be doing anyway, was just the, the solo stuff, just because it's like, you know, I, like, like I said, from way back in my teenage origins, I always knew what I wanted each instrument to do. And, I could, and because I can play them, and I can play them without, you know, editing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, not like a lot of people who play all their instruments now. Um, if you actually see them play, you're like, dude, what? You, you, you can't really play that. <laughs> uh, primarily drums. Uh, a lot of drummers out there that aren't really drummers. Um, but uh, so, you know, well, I f I feel it's just kind of like that, that. I was just, I was always just aching to do my own thing. Well, I'm probably, yeah. I, I probably don't necessarily like help the situation when like i had i use I, I it probably doesn't sound good but i use jellyfish kind of like as a blanket term for everyone who was even involved sort of thing it's not like we right. it's a whole like we all stroke our jellyfish albums while staring at the right. clouds you know and you know that kind of thing it's just a way to you know because we report uh you know in our own way we try to keep everyone up to date with what everyone's doing as well. And that really keeps the page very active as well. And, um, you know, there are people who, yeah, that's cool. there are people who love your stuff, who don't like as another jellyfish member stuff and stuff like that, but it creates good debate and all that kind of stuff. And it's a, it, I'm very proud of the group as well, because it's the community that's been brought together. Um, and it's yeah. probably the most active page online as well, you know, um, since like the old Yahoo groups closed down and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm very right. proud of it. And uh, there's been a lot of questions asked from uh, fans as well. But uh, one thing that I want to ask, um, actually two things, if you don't mind. You, you mentioned MySpace yeah. before. And MySpace, you know, had, yeah, it hasn't been a thing for like quite a while now. And uh, the last yeah. new stuff I heard of you from the All Quiet on the Noise Floor album was on MySpace. So when's the new album coming out? Come on, come on, tell us. Uh, oh, well, I'm working on it right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I know I'm 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 the You've been ultimate working... boy who cried wolf. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm aware of this, but no, I I, I actually haven't had a lot of. Um, I haven't had like a chunk of time like I have now for for uh, six years. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm like, I have this time and I've already, I've been working on it now. There's three new songs since the beginning of the year, which is, for me, is like, you know, that's that's like a 60s record where you make make a whole album in two days. Um, And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely going to be something this year, a full length, and um, it's going to be rad. That's That's, all I can tell you. It's going to be really good. It's it's, It's my favorite stuff with, like, hands down that I've ever done. That's amazing to hear. And, and, being from the UK, I've got to say your albums are not the easiest to find in the world. Um, you know, because right. it's like Japan and stuff like that. So like, is the and I know that this has been a thing that has bothered you as well. Is there are there plans for like a as wide a release as possible sort of thing? Well, yeah, for sure. I'm not going to do the J- Japan first or Japan only thing. Definitely not. The only reason that stuff happened was because the Japanese label and market was basically saying hey give us a record and here's like a like a considerable amount of money for an independent label i mean i was given like real money to do those records and everywhere in this you know other places were not you know but i mean i was there was a time i was talking to uh uh what was the name of that label it was a subsidy it was like part of domino it was a cool label in england um heavenly Mm-hmm. I, was, I was talking to Heavenly like a long time ago, and that looked like that was going to happen. Didn't happen. I had a manager in England uh, about ten years ago that was like gung ho, gung ho, saying I was the second coming of rock and roll and all this stuff. And then he just disappeared. Like literally, ninth song sent him of a record, which that record turned out to be "I'm Okay, You're Okay." Yeah, and he was like, he just disappeared. So I kind of got like these kind of hit some walls where I was just like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to go where the love is. And the love for me was in Japan. And, um, yeah. So I, and it's still, it's, I mean, Japan is an amazing place for me to go play solo. It's just absurd. The, the amount of, you know, um, just the amount of love that I get over there is, is, is uh, is life affirming. Um, but saying that, I'm not definitely not going to do the thing where it's, uh, you know, the Japanese thing first or, or even a staggered thing. Because I'm okay, you're okay did come out in America, but it was like a, like two years later. Yeah. And there were different there's, versions there's of really tracks, nice... weren't there? Yeah. I, I think there, that? there were like some different versions of tracks, like the new, I think there was a different version. Uh, well, just, just the first song. Just I think it's just uh, this time is different. Okay. Um, okay. And maybe there's a different, there is a different mix of, of the new, but it's essentially the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's missing that wonderful song that I, I will probably redo at some point, but that song, I don't mind, which is one of my favorite kind of ballad things I've ever written, but that's only on the Japanese one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll get that, get that figured out and, and out sort of concurrently and in, in across the globe that's great um before yeah. we go to uh fan questions um i've always wondered uh, i kind of wondered this about the imperial drag demos that kind of got out there as well somehow but there's a lot of like in inverted commas unreleased jason faulkner stuff that has kind of made its way into fans hands like is that something that yeah. like did you release them or like did fans no. Somehow, get, I'm, I'm no. guessing not because some of the and and, and I, the songs are wonderful, but like some of the mixes have like so, like hiss and could be you know they're not 
shiny. Well, some of those are probably four tracks. So oh, okay. Those, so okay. all the four tracks are going to have hiss. Okay. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> those are those are like cassette four tracks. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, no, none of that stuff was uh, was supposed to ever be released. That's probably a lot of that um, is just from from fans. Um, so I have no idea who who. who <laughs> well, that guy Adam Gimble probably has put a lot of stuff out of the universe. Uh, has has he got you know, a lot to be responsible for? I, I like Adam a lot, but is he uh, did he kind of take liberties? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Pro- probably. I mean, I, I'm not gonna. Don't quote me on that, but uh, uh, I just I don't know how that stuff got out. But yeah, there was there was some there was some collection of songs called "Amazing the Survivors." So "Amazing the Survivors" was my original title for um, "Can You Still Feel," and then it was like right before right before that was going to print the artwork and everything, I changed it to, um, this is my, I changed it to, uh, can you still feel? So I, I do remember seeing some collection that was still called amazing survivors and it had all this other stuff on it. But, uh, yeah, that's not supposed to be released. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I'm, not that I'm, uh, you know, not proud of it or anything, but it's just, those are not, those are songs that are intentionally not on a record. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I've got to say like clumsy grace is one of the most beautiful songs I think I've ever heard. Um, well, dude, Clumsy Grace, okay, that's from, that is an ancient, ancient song. That is, hmm, I recorded that, uh, there's, there's a, there was that and another song called To Love a Hero, mm-hmm. and those, both of those songs were recorded right when I quit Jellyfish, and, you know, so I was like 22 or something, and, um, those were recorded at this guy, Earl Mankey's studio. Earl Mankey was the original guitar player in Sparks. Earl Mankey um, is a badass. He also produced the, all the good early three o'clock stuff. So I was a fan of Earl Mankey's, you know, sort of the, t- the sound of his records. Um, so I just went out, brought all my gear out to his studio in his house in the valley here and uh, did those things. So that's, yeah, those are ancient songs. But yeah, it's a beautiful song, isn't it? Yeah, and same with uh, Ode to Lethargy as well. And um, mm. there's so so many. Good... Yeah, that's a bit. Sorry, I, yeah. like I, I, you, I wouldn't want you to give like the history on like every single song, but like stuff like Beating of a Heart and uh, you know uh, she's looking back at me. Like I'm hoping that these are the actual finished titles at the time as well, because I know that sometimes when stuff gets leaked, they are given titles by fans because they don't know the names of the songs and stuff like that. But um, Right. Yeah. But well, uh, have you, no- have you noticed the, uh, um, that she's looking back at me or whatever. She's trying to find me. It's, it's had a couple of different titles, but that song, the, uh, the lyrics, the verse lyrics are the same as Stephanie tells me. Good Lord. Okay. Did you ever notice that? I, I did not. I'm, I'm obviously yeah, not the they're, super fan that I pretend to be. I'm going to have to check that they're out. The, they're the same exact lyrics. I just, cause I, cause I, yeah, I kind of abandoned that uh, She's Looking Back at Me song, but I loved those verse lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. So where do I begin? Uh, can we just, uh, I cannot pretend anymore. That's that's the beginning. That's Stephanie Tells Me. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, there we are. And I've got to say, I love the, uh, I love the guitar solo in that song. I love the sound that you use. Oh, in the Trying to Find Me one? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it tails off beautifully back into the chorus as well and yeah i've always been a fan of that um but yeah look, yeah thanks man i'll stop paying your compliments now because uh 
Don't want to. No, I'll do. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, there's a there's a few questions, so we'll try and get through uh, some of these. Um, okay, I'm going to read because I'm I'm reading these as like some of them for the first time. So uh, Robert Perry, uh, Jason, please weigh in on this disagreement my girlfriend and I are having. Uh, ketchup on a hot dog, yay or nay? Oh, nay. Yeah? Is it oh. Mustard. I'm a mustard guy. Mustard. So he says, uh, thanks from one of the guys I saw you slay the Dennis de Young Soundalike contest at the Cattle Club in 1990. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> um, and Amazing. I'm, I'm just going to drop names now. So Fernando Padona says hi. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, now, uh, Jimmy Wetton, uh, your work with Amy Mann really had a jellyfish feel. Do you still keep in touch with her? Um, I I don't see her very often, but when I do, it's it's lovely. She's a great great person. Nice. Okay. And uh, Barry O'Brien. Um, any developments with Author Unknown, and can you still feel reissues? Also, your follow-up album uh, to... Oh, yeah, so you said that you're working on new stuff. So, Ed, are, the, are your old albums going to get vinyl reissues? Um, they will, yeah. The, the, there's, the label Omnivore has been asking me for years to, to re-release those uh, uh, and do deluxe vinyl and stuff. And I, you know, so I have them... I know they want to do it. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right place for those records um i was always intending to to issue those again once this new record is done it's just taken obviously like nine years for me to have a new record <laughs> but uh there there will be a, a very deluxe you know i you know to be honest with you i always wanted to remix um often unknown uh so what i was thinking about doing is if somebody will will fund that um I will, I would, I would do a, a, like a really deluxe LP, like a double LP where with the original and then the remixed, uh, just cause I, just cause I never loved the sound of it, even though I, I, I understand it's charming and I do, I do enjoy the record very much, mm -hmm. but, um, I didn't know when I did that first record and I know now I know a shit ton about it. So I, would love to get my hands on those tapes and um, remix that record. So who has, um, who has yeah. all, all those tapes like record companies? Or? Um, I think that I have those tapes in my storage facility, but I'm not certain. I think I, I might just have the second one, um, mm -hmm. Mm. Um, but I would have to, yeah, I would, I would have to hunt those down and hopefully, hopefully they haven't been thrown in the bin. Um, by the by, labels because labels do do that. Um, uh, that's awful. Um, that would be that would be a bummer. But anyway, yeah, they, those will be, be reissued probably next year. Oh, because awesome. this record's going to come out this year for sure. And you know, so I I feel like you know I don't. I felt like if those records were just reissued right now, it's kind of like becoming too much of like legacy artist. Whereas I am not a legacy guy yet. You know, um, I'm still very. I'm still very current and working and, and, um, you know, so I want, I don't want the perception to be like, Oh, this is guys records from 20 years ago, blah, blah, blah. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, what's he up to now? Like I want to show what I'm up to now and then reissue those. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember one of the first yeah. things I, I asked you, um, cause I tried, I tried to do it and I did it very unsuccessfully, uh, on before my heart attacks, when you had the, uh, the mandolin, um, sound and you said that you played it on acoustic guitar and sped it up. 
Yeah, that's just very sped 12, 12 string acoustic. Um, I tried to do it I, and I, I, I failed like, miserably. Um, what's that? I tried to do it and I failed miserably. Was there a reason why you did uh, that instead, you... of, instead of actually doing the using a mandolin? Was there <laughs> a reason why you tried decided to do that? Was it like uh, just... so, solely because I didn't have a mandolin? Okay, <laughs> that's, that's the that's the only reason. It was like, oh, this would be cool with these kind of like mandolin kind of thing. But I also like, on that first record, I was very into. Um, I was, I kind of was still in my four track mindset, which is four track mindset is literally by any means necessary, get this thing on tape. And like, if I didn't have a bass, mm. I would just detune a guitar way down and low. And then you can barely play it because the string will go because you know, it's so loose. Yeah. The pitch will jump around. So that's, that's where I come from. I come from just like making something work out of something that shouldn't work and um you know like instead of instead of just getting a synthesizer and hitting the first preset and going okay let's use that i would make a synthesizer sound out of something that's not a synthesizer whether even a mouse um and so that first record has a lot of that kind of like you know kind of home bedroom mentality and um you know there's a lot of stuff on that record there's the there's um the really the really big uh downbeat kick drums on nobody knows which is is a toy drum set kick drum that i just also very sped so i recorded that <laughs> at double speed <laughs> so it's like and then when you slow it back down to to pay to the right speed that kick drum is super low and puffy uh. um so I would do stuff like that a lot. There's a lot of that on that record. Um, my favorite thing on that on that song, nobody knows that I think it's hard to hear, but once I mention it, you'll hear it. Is the segues from the chorus to the verse, including the intro, which is a chorus. Um, you there's you hear this weird like, and that's that's me scratching the crowd, the audience noise. On, a, on I forget what record it was, but it was one of my live. It might even be Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the, it's the it's the crowd applause, and I'm going, and I'm, I'm, I'm you can hear you can hear it go <laughs> so there's like some scratching on that record, which just cracks me up. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, when and I'm, nobody go go for it. Sorry, no, I was just gonna say I don't know if anybody's ever even noticed that, but once I point that out, you, you won't will not be able to not hear it <laughs> well one of my uh, favorite intros to any of your songs is uh don't show my heaven um yeah it just it's it sounds so big like i love it when it's on yeah. like a playlist and it sounds like unlike anything else like and i love the um the chorus chords that you use on the on the intro as well um so were, yeah. there, were there ever any times where you'd like written a chorus written a verse and they were going to be for two separate songs and then you were like Oh, this will actually work together, or is it always? Oh, all the time. Yeah. No, all the time. That happens all the time with me. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll have, I kind of write in sections. I don't necessarily. There's probably very few songs that I can think of where I had a song written from beginning to end, all the sections, and then I start recording it. Um, for the most part, I'll have, you know, like a chorus, uh, a verse, or a chorus, or, you know those but maybe no bridge um and i'm usually so damn excited to record it and just hear it back as a fan 
because I can be kind of objective too about like what I'm doing and like just like I'm, like making music so that I can fan out on it. Yeah. Um, and and um, so like I I can think right now the holiday is a perfect example. Holiday the there there was no bridge. Um, I didn't know what the hell the music was going to be in that bridge that breakdown. So I just started. I just recorded the drums. I always recorded the drums first. Uh-huh. To nothing. To nothing. I'm just singing along in my head, and then come come that bridge. I just started going to that that pattern, and I just figured out what to do as I'm playing each instrument. I just started going to those chords, and then just wrote that whole thing like on, on the fly. It wasn't until um, I saw you play that um, by yourself uh, when you do that breakdown part. It, how classical that sounds like was that kind of the idea yeah, yeah. You, you don't really get it as much i would say on the on the on the record yeah. but like when you hear those chords it's uh it has a very classical feel to it um yeah yeah so uh, it's, it's supposed to be kind of it's, it's supposed to be kind of um you know there's a humor to a lot of stuff that i do that i that i think kind of maybe goes over some people's heads or doesn't quite register um at, at times and you know, obviously, when you see me do that live, I, I kind of make make a, a point of that, make a humorous point of that middle bit. But uh, <laughs> you know, of, uh, but that's you know that's something that I find that that's kind of something that's that's missing with a lot of stuff is that is just kind of a playful sense of humor, and it doesn't mean that I'm not taking it seriously. It's quite the opposite. It's just it's just that's a really important part of of sort of expression to me is like not being too precious about stuff. Um, and that said, I mean, I create, but it's like, there's humor in it too. And, um, you know, I just, I hope people understand that. Hey, well, cons- uh, considering like just you know, how, you never know, how you never know what people are, are latching on to. This is true. And, and, and considering like how complex your songs can be as well, I think it would be easy. And I, I say this, purely as a fan, it would be easy to be interpreted maybe as it being pretentious. Do you know what I mean? Just because yeah, yeah, the music sure. is so clever, but also the ability to sing along to the songs as well. That's like a hell of a uh, thing to be able to put together. Cause it was amazing when I saw you at that gig in London and everyone was singing along to every word, even the words you forgot, um, <laughs> which right. I found quite funny. Um, <laughs> so um, the, yeah, I've got to say this as well, like, because this is quite funny. When you were doing the Lion Me uh, in London, um, yeah. there's a line in the song saying, uh, I forgot my words and melody. Um, yeah. And that is the line that, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but that is the line that you forgot to sing in the song. That's funny. <laughs> I, I probably I probably didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> oh, see, ballad, be- beautiful, um, you know, coincidence. But um, <laughs> Irony. Uh, uh, yes. Um, okay, I won't keep you too much longer, but there are a few questions. Um, okay, yeah, so Miles Joseph asks, uh, what was the hardest jellyfish song to learn? Um, I mean, none of them were hard to learn because I was there when we wrote them, you know? That's I was part of, the, part of the writing process, so, uh, yeah. Um, How much of the Spilt Milk stuff did you actually play live, apart from Bye Bye Bye? Was that the only one? Huh? Uh... I think that's the only one we played live. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure. I always liked that song. Is it um, I, I, I wanted that song to be on the first record, but uh, <laughs> for some reason we didn't do that. But uh, with the yeah, ar- I mean the jelly. Yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. 
No, no, I was going to say with the arrangement that you, the kind of stripped down arrangement that you use live, it would have really fit in on Belly Button. It wouldn't have worked with the over the top kitchen sink spilt milk production on Belly Button. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, the the production was very different. Um, mm. You know, and I, 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 you know, I appreciate both both um, production styles. I mean, I like I like kitchen sink stuff, but I also there's something really cool about how minimal really the uh, belly button is um uh and, you know a lot of that was because a lot of those songs on that record are one guitar tip um i don't mean take i just mean it's one channel of guitar one pass yeah um like for instance if you notice on a she still loves him when I when that solo comes in, the rhythm guitar goes away. That's because it's the same take. Um, yeah, that's not an overdub. That's that's we had a, I had a, I had one one box AC30, where I was doing the main guitar, and then another AC30 in a different room. It was on like ten, just sitting there ready to explode, and I hit an AB box, and so that's that's how that stuff was done. Is it um, is it true that tensions were so high when, especially when you played that solo, that you threw the guitar down and left the studio? Or... Yeah, I mean, I didn't throw the guitar down, but <laughs> oh no, well, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, but what what happened? That look, every time I looked over to Andy when we were talking about a trio, mm-hmm. he was looking at me like he wanted to kill me, and I was like, "What the fuck, man? I'm not. I'm just. I'm sitting here playing your song, uh-huh. like you know, what's the deal?" And, um, so yeah, that was, that guitar solo is just rage. It, it really <laughs> is. I, I love it. Um, so, yeah. um, uh, Lorenzo Gonzalez asks, uh, scariest slash creepiest fan moment and, uh, most memorable jellyfish gig. Most, what, what was the second part? Uh, most memorable jellyfish gig. Oh, oh, well, okay, so the most memorable gig for sure is uh, Wembley. Oh, of course, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was just bonkers. Um, you know, we had been told, because we were the first band on that bill. Mm-hmm. So we played at like, I don't even know what time it was, but I could, I'd be like 2 or 3 p.m. we played. And uh, everybody was like, you know, the label and everybody kind of backstage was like, so, you know, there's probably not like, don't be surprised. There's probably not going to be that many people out there in this giant arena uh, stadium, whatever. And, um, so we were just prepared to go out and play to, a, you know, a few thousand people down the, on the floor, but it was full. It was packed. And, um, you know, I do remember that we had, there was a ton of press in, in England and a lot of radio stuff. And I remember that, uh, you know, the, the, whatever DJs that were covering that show were, were telling people to get there early to see this new, you know, band from Al- from America and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that, that was just astonishing. I remember walking out there and I feel like I, at some point, I, I think I like was rolling around on the floor, on the ground of the, just like, <laughs> just freaking out, just playing my guitar. But like, I, I got down on the ground and was just like rolling around. <laughs> I, do you know if there's any footage of that? I swear I have seen footage of this, and I think Adam says that he has seen it as well, but it showed up on YouTube and then kind of disappeared. So I, I'm certain I have seen footage of this. Um, but it must exist, even if they were testing he, he, out the cameras or something, because 
I'm assuming it didn't get broadcast, but the NXS gig did. Um, right. But um, all I know, I mean, I do know that on the fan club box set, they had to speed up the songs to fit them on the on the disc. Um, and then the when Omnivore re-released Belly Button, the tracks were put on as they should be sort of thing. And uh, I do know there was an interview with Andy where he talks about um, you were doing the Norwich Waterfront the next day and that's when he recorded the uh, Now She Knows She's Wrong music video which never actually got a release and somehow that's shown up on YouTube so you know one thing about Jellyfish from what I've seen everything shows up eventually so I do think the Wembley footage will get out there Um, and if anyone's listening if you have it upload it please because yeah, yeah, yeah. Send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to see that. Um, but then, and sorry, what was the first question? Oh, uh, scariest uh, slash creepiest fan moment. Oh, man. Uh, there's been a, quite, a, quite a bit of that. Uh, I mean, I had a, I had a, I had a, um, stalk, I had a girl come from Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this was, this was like my second solo record era. Uh, came from Japan and, and just, uh, my manager at the time called me and he's like, so there's a girl here, here. She's like your biggest fan from Japan. And, um, she would love to, you know, see you and have, meet you and have a, you know, if you wanted to, I don't know, have to have a coffee or something, you know? And I was like, well, this doesn't happen like every day. So why not? Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I brought my friend I, I, we drove up in my 60 galaxy 500. Yes. And, um, went to go pick her up. And as I'm getting closer and closer to the address, I mean, she, they, she is in like the, like Watts LA, like bad area, mm. like just cops, you know, police tape on the street, you know, just like <laughs> what the hell. And so we, this address of this motel or whatever. And there's, there's just this one little Japanese girl sitting in the, in the um, lobby. Uh-huh. And, and I'm like, well, that's gotta be her. And so I said to my friend, just go, can you go, go get her? So he goes and she comes out and she's shaking and she, I get up, she gets in the front seat with me and my friend gets in the back seat. <coughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, so wait, because she had called like a week earlier and I was busy. I was recording. And I just, I kind of kept changing the day. I was like, uh, you know, she was, she called like on a, on a Wednesday or something or no, she called on a Monday. I remember that she called on a Monday uh-huh. and I said, how long are you? I said, how long are you here? Cause I'm very busy, but I, you know, we could like go have a tea or a coffee or something. And she's like, I'm here until next Wednesday. So I said, okay, so how about next Monday? And she says, okay, I will wait. And I, I said, just if we can talk at this time and I'll come get you. So literally that Monday, same exact time, like 1 p.m., phone rings. Hello, I'm ready. And I'm like, uh, oh, all right. Okay, so we went and got her. She gets in the car and I'm like, so wait, where's your, where your, where's your family or where's your friend? No friend. Where's your, who, where's your mom or dad? Because she's young. Uh-huh. And I'm like, and she goes, no, no family. I'm like, I'm sorry. So, and I'm like looking around and taking in like where she's staying. And it's like, you can't walk around. Hmm. And I'm like, what have you been doing? <laughs> right. That's the million dollar question. 
And she goes, waiting for you. Oh, and I'm like, okay, what? Like, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror at my friend and his eyes are getting really big. And we're just like, what the hell? And, um, so yeah, so that was, you know, so we, like, we took around and stuff, but, um, and then I, uh, I, this was where I made a mistake, but I, I felt so bad later that night. We were still kind of around. We went, got some food and stuff. And I was like, look, you're not staying in that shitty place. So you can, I'll sleep on my couch and you can stay in my place. So this is, this is where, this is where I made a mistake. This is how right? misery Kathy Bates things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's right. This is when my legs get bored enough. Um, <laughs> no, she, <laughs> she goes, but I, so everything was fine, and I take her to the airport the next day or something, and then, uh, and then I get a letter, and it, the letter has a bunch of pictures, and the pictures are, are of me sleeping. Oh, oh. <laughs> like, 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 like close-up pictures of my face sleeping. Good lord! Okay. And I was, I was like, oh shit! <laughs> right, and so she did, she did come back uh-huh. again. She was, and she was like, I am in Los Angeles. And I'm like, I'm, and, and I had a, uh, I just started dating somebody in, in that interim. Uh-huh. And I, so I, I made my poor girlfriend take her on a hike and stuff like, like, so she hung out with my girlfriend. <laughs> probably not, probably not really what this, this fan had in mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so that was kind of, that was kind of crazy. I um, mean, she was really sweet, but it was just kind of like, like, you know, just I, like she quit her job and stuff to come out. Like oh, she was wow. like, I, I said, what are you? At some point, I said, "What? What did you think? Like, why would you do that?" She goes, "I came here for you to fall in love with me." I'm like, "Oh boy!" Mm-hmm. So that was intense. But I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, there was a classic one at a gel- at a jellyfish show. Believe it or not, uh-huh. um, we played. Oh man, what's that? There's a there's a venue that has like some German architecture. Like, so there's like maybe some German crosses and it was like kind of like this eyebrow lifting thing, noticing all this German oh, like architecture inside this venue in somewhere in England. And, um, okay. I can't remember what venue that was, but it's a, it's a, the, it's a theater. It's a very decent sized place with like a balcony and stuff. And, um, we played and there was a, there was a, there was a group of people that I had become kind of friends with that were following us around. Um, you know, some guys with, dreads and you know just like some traveler dudes and um and then uh some some girls with pink hair and all that stuff and uh-huh. and um like they're like Ned's atomic dustman peeps and um <laughs> and uh the, uh one of them I, I mean i remember sitting at i was the only one I ever hung out with these people the other guys were just in their room eating mcdonald's and um i uh just one girl i remember from being in all these pubs you know, after gigs and stuff, we're playing and we went off. Wait, we, I think we were walking off to, for, to, for the, before the encore. Mm -hmm. And I see a girl come running onto the stage and she's like, Jason. And then she collapses. And the medic goes out there, and it's like there's a big thing, you know, we're all, like everybody's waiting, and she's laying on the stage right where. And they they pick her up, and I guess they revive her or whatever, and they pick her up, and they're carrying her off stage, and she walks right past me, and kind and then she's like Jason, and like reaches to grab me, and I'm just like, 
the hell, man? <laughs> a little too much. Uh, but, um, I, I duff my hat to the crazy jellyfish fans. Um, it, t- it turns out owning about 20 copies of Belly Button isn't that crazy anymore. So, you know, um, I'm okay with that. I can sleep well knowing that. Um, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um, I, I do have more questions. I don't want to keep you too long, though. That's the only thing. So, I'll, no, I'm good. Um, I'm good. Well, um, there are some questions that I've already asked. So, um Okay, so where am I? There's a list. Okay, um, uh, bah, bah, bah. Uh, Remco Terhoven. I hope I, I will not have uh, will not have pronounced that correctly. Uh, Terhoven. Uh, are you going to work with Anne Soldat again? Oh, uh, I love I love Anne Soldat. Um, we were going to do something, and then he just had trouble getting you know the the, the funding to to come out to LA again and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, those two records that we made were such a such a thrill, and uh, I, lo- I love that guy. Um, so I hope so, but I don't know. Okay, cool. Um, Ryan Reed yeah. uh, says that you've already explained it, but you still can't believe uh, he stumbled over you in less than zero. Uh, so you wanted me to like kind of mention that <laughs> uh, to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was pretty funny. That was a, that was a result of me being a club kid here in in Hollywood, oh. um, and they they basically uh, the casting people wanted the even though there's really nothing authentic about that film um, <laughs> they wanted they wanted the club scenes to be authentic um, r- real people that were hanging out in clubs at the time so yeah they they cast us all like you know they they would go down to the and we, all the people waiting in line to get into these clubs, they'd be like, Hey, you just want to be in a movie? Want to be in a movie? Want to be? And so, yeah, sure. Made like 50 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, went down there and it's, it was one of the clubs that I always hung out at, but it was like at noon. And, um, then they, then the, somebody picked me out to make me uh, what they call a featured extra. Um, so that's, that's why I have a quick little close up. Uh-huh. Um, but but yeah, that was really funny. And then the the greatest thing was, you know, I just saw Danny Benair at this Kinks thing, and Danny, the drummer from Three O'clock, he and his girlfriend and myself went to go see the premiere, or sorry, not the premiere, but we went to go see that film in the theater because you know he was like, oh, it's so cool that you're in it. So we went to go see it, and my little my little you know three second thing came up. And these, and as Danny just reminded me, he was like, these girls that were like sitting ne- near us all turned around. They were like, "That's you!" And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was pre- it. Was pretty funny. Uh, no, but, see, uh, I've I've just done um, this was completely random. I just did an, uh, a TV advert, which is going to show in cinemas as well. It's for Strongbow. Uh, I don't know if you've ever really drank much uh, Strongbow in your life, but um, you have a cider. The cider, yeah, it's it's an okay drink, but I was really ill, and they were giving us uh, Strongbow to kind of hold and drink out of, because it's set in a venue, and um, this Strongbow was a mix of Strongbow and chemical to keep the Strongbow looking good, so you could technically have drank it, but um, the last scene, or the last shot that they recorded, they will not use, because they were like, right, okay, cheer the artist on stage, and then some of you, 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 including me, take a drink, and I do not let that shit go past my lips and I have a beard so I, I'm kind of it doesn't go past my lips and then I put the glass down and you just see it drip 
off my face. Um, so <laughs> I just don't think that that's going to get used. Yes. <laughs> um, that's not, wait, but so you're in the ad? I am in the ad. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Oh, that's so cool, man. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, the, the small amount of money and uh, for how much I had to stand up in this bar because um, I do prefer to sit down whenever possible. Um, I was, I was, yeah. I, yeah, I was very excited when they were like, "Right, you, you, and you, we need you to sit down in the bar." And I was already on the seat, ready. And they were like, "No, not you. You have to stand up for a little bit longer." So I thought at least I'll get used a little bit. But um, I don't know if I do. I do look like the average cider drinker. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to say, jellyfish are the reason why I grew my hair long. Um, you know, it was one of those mid twenties. I think if I left it any longer than that, it would have looked like a midlife crisis. So, um, you right. Know, so I've done it now, and um, you know, I was going to wear the and you and you're stuck with it. Stuck with it now. Well, I was. I would. I went through the phase of having. It's. It's so contrived. But I. I had the bubble machine, which no venue would let me use because of health and safety. Um. I had the Dr. Okay. Seuss hat, which kept falling off, and no one cared. No one knew. No one. Like all respect <laughs> to jellyfish, but no one knew who jellyfish were. So I just was like, right. okay, I, I need to stop all that shit. But um. Yes. Yeah, so, um. Amazingly. Stuart Brackpool asks: uh, Is there any chance of some kind of co-headline tour with Pugwash? Uh, um, and he actually, I, d- I don't know if you could answer this, but he was like, he wondered if it would offset some of the expense of a UK tour by headline, you know, by working with a UK artist. Um, yeah, probably not. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think that, um, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I guess he does pretty well over there, but I mean, I, I, I think just doing, um, I mean that, that that little gig at the uh, Islington afterwards. The the owner was like, "Man, you could have played six nights in a row here." Like I got so many phone calls. This sold out in like <laughs> no time at all. And so I mean, I feel like I just need to get over there. I've, I've been I've, I've been waiting for a new record. So once there's a new record and there's like something to, you know, something new for people to uh, hear and 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 all that then um i'll, I'll come over there I'll, I'll definitely be doing something over there it's why i kind of just assumed that you would end up having something with low jinx records since because it was the, he was the guy who um organized the show wasn't he i think andrew andy yeah yeah and nothing against those guys it's just it's i i think that there's it's too much of a niche mm-hmm. um it's it's just I, I I know that I could get something that has a little bit more muscle than that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, so but there's no, nothing against Andrew. Andrew's a great guy, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, like that. I don't know. I think if that if that Pugwash record that I did, which by the way, you know, I'm playing like almost every single instrument on that record, and and Thomas Thomas did some really kind of weird dodgy stuff at the end of that. Um, which was really unfortunate because we were totally mates. Um, you don't need to yeah, go into like, that. We can just leave all that. Okay. Um, yeah, but uh, that was kind of weird. Okay. So, um, so David Tolar asks, uh, when will you come back to do a Boston gig? David Tolar. Um, as soon as there's a record. So, you know, when I get this record done and, and out, I will be touring and I don't know where and when at this point, but, uh, you know, as much as I can. Um, so that, you know, I've actually always wanted to just like rent a car and do a tour, even if I did some touring with a band and some touring solo, cause I, I actually really like playing shows solo. I think they, I think, I think a lot of people like those shows as well because you can really hear the songs. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of people, you know, it's probably, 
it's probably pretty split. I mean, some people are probably like, oh man, I want to see the band. I want it to rock. And then other people are like, I mean, I've, I've actually heard some people, a lot of people say that they prefer the solo because, you know, when I have a band, it's usually pretty rocking. And so the songs are kind of sometimes a little harder to really kind of hear because it's rocking so hard <laughs> because, because I really like to, I like things to be kind of like, you know, tough sounding. Yeah. And, um, so, but yeah, that said, uh, I'll definitely do some solo, some solo touring and some band touring on this, on this next record. Beautiful. Um, all right. He's, his name is Northland Kiefer, which I'm guessing is a, a pun on Kiefer Sutherland. Um, uh, what is your favorite guitar? What's my favorite guitar? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you, you mean that I own, I would that, imagine. That you own, yeah. Uh, well, it says all-time yeah. favorite guitar, so um, I guess it could be anything. Well, I, pro- I, have two, I have two of my all-time favorite guitars, and I happen to own them. Uh, one of them is that 62 Fiesta Red Jazz, Fender Jazzmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is probably, I have a 66 Gretsch Duo Jet, the, the double cutaway. Um, it's just such a cool guitar. Um, and I and it just sounds amazing. I love those guitars. I mean, probably about fifteen years ago, I started. You know, I kind of uh, the writing was on the wall. I mean, I couldn't afford any of the any of the the Holy Grail guitars anymore. Um, they got so expensive, and uh, <laughs> I had a couple of guitars that I had to, that I kind of lost in a divorce, even though I wasn't married. <laughs> and. Uh, so, so, and one of two of those guitars would would have been in my top five of all time, but I had to sell them. And one of one of them was a '66 non-reverse uh, Gibson Firebird um, with the little mini humbucker pickups, which are just the most biting, ex- insanely aggressive sounding guitar. Um, and then the other one was a '67. Epiphone Riviera, with the, also with mini humbuckers, but a very different guitar. And I, man, I miss those guitars like every every other day. I think about those guitars. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, but yeah, what I was going to say is I'm slowly getting into kind of more oddball stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like I, like I I, I kind of take pride in my in my highly curated collection of oddball guitars at this point because. You know, there's a, most oddball guitars are called oddball guitars because they're kind of crappy and you don't see them very often because they're kind of crappy and they don't play very well and they don't sound very good and all that stuff. Um, I have managed to, through a, through an insane obsession of trial and error with eBay and all this stuff, but I ha- now have like a really gnarly, about 30 vintage electric guitars that you've never heard of. <laughs> and or, or or if you have very rarely seen you know, they're, they're all like yeah. and they're so cool uh-huh. and they all make me they all kind of make me do something different when I pick them up they, they're all like you, you kind of have it's like more of a it's more of like a dance than let's say you know a, a Les Paul or a Strat which is just you know those are those are the most those are the most successful electric guitars ever made for a reason. They're fantastically built mm-hmm. and they, they just do, they're just great guitars, but they're so common and kind of, and so therefore kind of boring for me. So I, 
I have a bunch of different stuff and like I love at this point I love all of these guitars. I couldn't imagine parting with a single one. Oh, and I have a really crazy um I started getting into like finding a, the, a set of, of of a particular model so I would have the bass and the guitar and the amp. <laughs> so so uh dude, I have the rare I'm looking at them right now on my wall. I have the rarest British Burns guitars. Oh, nice. But, okay. But it's it's the Burn Sonic. It's this little tiny thing. And I have a, I have the Burn Sonic guitar and bass, both in like pristine condition, hanging on my wall. I, I'll send you a picture of those. Um, yeah. I, I love that you're a nerd. So, yeah. This kind of uh, makes me feel more human, that you're also a nerd. So, um, <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm a super nerd. <laughs> um, so Billy Zimmer asks, uh, what is your moisturizing routine? Oh, Billy. Come on, Billy. <laughs> uh, well, he, I think he asked me that in person the other day. Oh, um, come on, Billy. Get some new questions. Um, he's, <laughs> well, he says as well, if you, if you could have one artist cover one of your songs, uh, who would it be? He says he would love Ben Folds to cover Afraid of Himself to Be. Oh, oh to cover one of my songs? Hmm. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, ben Folds is very good. Uh so no moisturizing routine uh, <laughs> is the answer to the first part. Um, just not, not the blood just of children, or so. Yeah, okay. Just no, just just bourbon, and then um, <laughs> the other one is God to cover one of my songs. Um, I mean, I never really thought of that. Um, depends what the motivation is, really. Like if I if I wanted to be able to buy a house in the hills, then it wouldn't be been full. <laughs> it would it would be you know. Um, but, uh, God, I never even thought of that. I don't know. Would I mean, you, probably you, somebody. Would you be picky about it? Know. Like if, uh, I don't know if someone, the most, because that's the thing, like you've worked with lots of mainstream artists as well. So if it was like even someone you didn't like, but they were like highly successful, would that like really bother you? Uh, um, it, it, de- it really depends on the version. Like if they did a cool version, but it was somebody I didn't like love, but, hmm. but if it, if it kind of did something else to the song that, that I found interesting, then I, I don't really mind who it is. And the other thing is, is it certainly wouldn't change any of the impetus as, as to why I wrote it and recorded it myself. Mm-hmm. So it does, it doesn't really matter um, in a, in a weird way. I mean, you know, like I wouldn't want some cheesy Disney kind of thing. Um, uh, uh. But, but, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think it'd be cool if some like fucking hit, hit like, I always thought the verse, the chorus of Nobody Knows mm-hmm. is almost like kind of a, it's almost kind of like an R&B kind of thing. Like a, like a, so I feel, I always thought that, cause actually there was a fan, this girl recorded that a long time ago, probably just, I don't even know, like in GarageBand or something and sent it to me. And it was so cool. She had just like, really like almost hip hop. Nobody knows. Nice. So That's it was good. like that. That have, have you seen my baby part? What it, what it was like? And it was like really, really kind of interesting. So I, that kind of sparked something where I was like, well, that that's kind of like sounds like a hit chorus to some sort of like hip hop thing. Yeah. So that would be that'd be interesting. I mean, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not out there like pounding the pavement trying to get my stuff covered. So. No. You know. Um well a, a young but, a young man called uh, Chris Manning uh, asks uh, what was it like having Chris Manning as a roommate and uh what is your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie? 
Okay. First of all, Dylan, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was a, a real pain in my ass having Chris Manning as a as a roommate. <laughs> he was so t- he was so tidy and respectful. It was just awful. It was such a stark contrast to the other guys in the band. Uh. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then uh, let's see, that would be um, Predator. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, when <laughs> and he knows one. Um, Wayne McCrory um, asks, what did you make of Ireland uh, slash Belfast on your visit with Beck last summer? Uh, will you be returning? By the way, loved the little alternative Ulster riff he played at the Titanic Slipway gig. Yes. That's, uh, that was so... that's just random words to me, but um, <laughs> I'm assuming you know what that oh, is. Oh. oh, you don't know what he's talking about? No. Ah, uh, okay, so alternative Ulster is uh, is a Stiff Little Finger song. Okay. And I was really, really, really into that that Belfast punk band when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of doing my normal, um, just doing the kind of uh, Stones Miss You thing, I started out with, um, it's, it's when Beck does the introductions to the people. Ah. Guitar for, from that song. And the crowd went bananas. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that was, I mean, being such a big fan of that band, it was so cool to be in in Northern Ireland and, and just sort of like, I got to see my different David Holmes and go to his house and hang out. And um, that was a, that was a really fun time. So I hope we go there soon. Cool. Again. Um, uh, Yokozuna, uh, not the professional wrestler Yokozuna, uh, asks, "How far can you throw a wiffle ball?" <laughs> uh, foot and a half. Okay, uh, Eric. So we're going to get through these really quickly now. Eric Matthews, uh, why are you so doggone awesome? Uh, you know, um... <laughs> takes one to know one, Eric. There you go, uh, Adam McIntyre. Uh, this concerns studio stuff. Um, I love his four track recordings, and would like to point out that some new bands are enjoying a lot of success doing lower five productions. I'd love to see another album of four or eight track recordings. Uh, that being said, who are some of the other producers on Jason's? Like to work with list um, that you would oh, like to work uh, some with. Oh, some of yeah. the other oh producers. Uh, oh man. Um, well, thank you. The four yeah, the four track stuff is some of my actually some of my favorite stuff ever. It's, I just love the uh, immediacy and, and the limit the built in limitations to you know having to commit to stuff. Yeah. Um, on on the spot and not being able to tinker too much. Um, but, uh, you know, and at some point I would probably, if I had the room in my studio now, I would love to get like a proper, you know, one inch eight track tape machine or something and make an album like that. That's just quick and just tough sounding. Cause those machines just sound incredible. Um, but, uh, and then producers, uh, God, man, um, all the people I can, I, I, think of are all kind of like you know getting up there as far as you know like the enos and the and the um uh chris thomas's yeah. um yeah i love chris thomas but i don't even know what he's doing if he's working i have no idea um so uh you know i'm not really like a guy that's that works with a lot of producers <laughs> but, <laughs> this is true i've got so, um, I've, I've got to say the, the guitar solo on uh the four track version of all god's creatures is incredible like i love that oh thanks um because it's more like uh it's strings and piano on on the album which 
like I love, but like I, there's just something about that guitar solo which because um, I hadn't heard that until like a long time la- later as well, and it was a real surprise when it um, when it comes in. Yeah, um, that that middle the 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 way I changed that for the for the actual record was again a, a, like a very very a very intact sense of humor um, <laughs> that was supposed to be kind of like a. You know, it's like a, it's like all of a sudden Liberace yeah. joins my band for for this middle bit, and that that's all supposed to. Uh, it's also I really like the juxtaposition of that with this like weird pulsing, like animalistic verse and song in general. It's just kind of like this weird hypersexual, strange thing, and then it goes into this like uh, you know, like a Silk LeMay nightmare in the, in the middle bit. <laughs> That was all, uh, you know, very tongue-in-cheek. See, well, that's one thing you can do alone. Like, I remember b- being with uh, one of the lineups of my band, and I was just like, right, this piano part, I really want it to sound Liberace-esque. And then everyone just looked at me and were like, yeah, this is, uh, we're not going to appeal to the kids here, are we? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to stop worrying about that. No, I, I don't care. Uh, well, that's the thing. When I, when I was 20, I wanted to be in a band with people my age because I was just like, we'll be marketable. Now I'm 30. I don't care how old anyone is as long as they can play their instrument. Um, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. But uh, Danny Myers had a few questions. But his last question, because um, I think the other two would take a very, very long time to ask. So you can always ask you this in person. He says, uh, can Danny Myers buy Jason a beer after the Beck show in uh, Saratoga, New York? Yes. Okay. Exclamation. And, lots of lots of exclamation points. <laughs> and then you can ask the other questions as well, because again, I think they would literally take the rest of the night to answer. Um, basically, how okay. did you get involved with Beck, and will there be vinyl releases of everything you've ever done? Basically, but um, you pretty much, <laughs> pretty much covered that. Um, yeah. Oh, Carlos Fantana Morgana, which is a hell of a name i love it um yeah, wow rosanna rosanna dana <laughs> well see it, it's one of those <laughs> questions uh do you know what oh, i feel awful asking this because i know myself uh, do you know what andy stone was up to these days and do you keep in touch i'm guessing not i don't know i the last time i saw him was at a recording studio uh where it was um i believe i was working with paul so this is that was a long time ago when i saw him that it's, was 2004 or whenever that was yeah it's in the book um, isn't it yeah that story's in the book i I, okay, I didn't even know that. Um, yeah, I don't know what he's up to. Okay. Um, Jenny Lee asks, uh, Maddie says she will be waiting for you and Roger at the show in Tampa, Florida. Is that cool? I'm guessing she, yes. she, she's not like your Japanese fan. Um, no, no. She's a, a sweet, sweet friend. Yes. Um, um, do you like... Okay, Robert Marlowe, do you like blue cheese? And what blue cheese do you like? Oh, I like the strongest, funkiest blue cheese possible. Uh, as far as my salads go. <laughs> um, where am I? At? Okay, this is a bit of a controversial one because I don't know if you really uh, covered this or not, but Matt Taronis asks if your lawyer ever got in touch with Enough's Enough about the song theft. <laughs> oh, my God, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, so I... When I heard that, I was jaw-dropped. I got about five different uh, texts with links uh-huh. to that song. I was like, "What are these guys kidding? Um, and uh, I actually talked to my manager, and he said, well, you know, there's, it's, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like uh, the Queens of the Stone Age did that, where you would have, <laughs> you know, you, there would be some money. Um, this is a this is a band that nobody knows about or cares about really. So 
you know. Uh, no, but I, I, I can't believe the audacity of that. And it, it, I forgot about it until right now. And it's, uh, that was, it was upsetting to hear that, but it's, it's just like, I guess, I guess you guys are okay. Just, just with such a ripoff. I mean, I don't understand. Uh, it was, I was, so, but shocked. I don't think the thing is as well, every, no, I mean, it's, no, it, it's, it's Go, criminal. Yeah. It, that's actually, that's actually criminal. Um, so I don't know what they're thinking. Um, I don't know if or, or, maybe they want me to. Maybe they want that's the way that they want to want to get in touch with me. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> like oh, how do we how do we get Jason Bonger's attention? Okay, here's how you do it. Um, but man, it's weird. It was really weird because everyone was like, "No, just a coincidence." And I was like, "No, the, some of the lyrics are being verbatim used." With oh, the if same somebody thinks that's yeah. a coincidence, they they need to have their head checked. I mean, yeah. that's absurd. There, there's no coincidence there. Mm. Um, so we will get off that, but um, <laughs> let us know. Let us know if you successfully take them down. Yeah, but get, but get my ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, uh, Eric Emson asks, uh, "Will the Greys ever reform?" And I replied, "More chance of jellyfish reforming." But um... <laughs> uh, you know, probably the Greys probably wouldn't. I mean, everybody else in that band is, is kind of uh, doing very well. Um, you know, so two two of the guys. You know, Dan McCarroll is uh, has was the president of Capitol Records and then the president of Warner Brothers. I don't know if people know that, but he 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 went on to very successful uh, business um, things. Um, and I think he's at Google now. Um, and um, and then Buddy is has got some big job at Apple. Um, and then John is you know what John is doing his soundtrack stuff and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I love I love all those guys. I mean, Buddy and Dan and I uh, don't keep in touch nearly as much as we would like. I see John probably more often, which which isn't very often. But you know, I don't have any bad feelings towards any of those guys at all. Certainly not. I mean, the only rub in that band was between me and John. I think that that was um, really uh, exacerbated by the fact that we both. Like at least musically, we're very similar. Not not necessarily in our taste or what we do, but in just the fact that we can both kind of do everything yeah. in, in in a in a band situation. So uh, that that being the case, you know, like when you have that with somebody, um, sometimes the littlest personality rub becomes this massive problem because it's like. It's like that we were both so alpha, you know, and, and I was extremely alpha at that time in the studio with that band because I had just gotten out from under the jellyfish thumb. So was there any, I was like... Was there kind of like a... Um, was it kind of like a cathartic thing when you and John chatted to each other about working with jellyfish and how difficult that could be at times? Well, not, what's, what's funny is not really... I mean, I almost felt that was a little bit of a of an early beach rail, um, for, in, in a weird way. I mean, I, I didn't really, didn't really go into much detail at the time, but that's when John and I were kind of starting the, the grays and he went and he did that session and, and, um, you know, he, he came out of that saying like, they just want you. Like, I don't even know why I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, yeah, we didn't. Yeah, I mean, I guess we commiserated a little bit about what a pain in the ass that they were, but uh, it was uh, not much. I mean, I was kind of like, "Why did you even do that?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, 
like like I'm the guy that just left that band and we're starting a band like don't you know you know what I mean that's kind of like yeah, kind of a, a little bit uh, awkward for what it's worth as well John was like one of the only people that um, Craig couldn't get in touch with for the book um, <laughs> maybe he, right. d- he didn't want to do it I guess but um, but we're, we're on the home stretch with questions now um, Angela yeah. Estes asks uh, what's your favourite colour uh probably uh kind of a sandy blue there you go and this is high level journalism going on at this point uh paul everett (laughs) asks uh paper or plastic (laughs) for what for what i don't know um for writing a letter probably paper you know it really depends uh, yeah for records probably plastic (laughs) but um 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 i'm trying to find questions that haven't been asked Uh, matt Beliga uh, asks, uh, "Will there be a new TVI's record?" Uh, probably not. Uh, that was, you know, that, that was such a. I love that record. I listen to that uh, every once in a while. The, the, the LPs that uh, Omnivore put out sound so good. Um, yeah. And, uh, but but probably not. That was just always meant to be kind of a side project. Um, so yeah, I'd say no. I hope everyone's enjoying the interview with Jason Faulkner. I'll be back in a jiffy. If XTC were to have babies with blur, whilst going on dates with Crowded House and occasionally seeing Radiohead on the side, you'd get SML XL. Layered, elaborate, melodic guitar pop. SML XL have taken the sounds of the 70s and 80s and have modernized it with a polyphonic tapestry of driven sonic guitars, luscious harmonies, and masterfully crafted songwriting. It evokes old souls for modern ears. Their new single, Big Cheese, is now available on all digital platforms. Visit smlxlmusic.com.au or click the link below the show for more info. Okay, and uh, last question um, from uh, Stuart uh, Brackpool. Uh, do you have a favorite make of drums when recording? Uh, yes, I actually, well, I have two kits only, but uh, <laughs> the main one I use is, is 19, I have a 1969 Premier, which is British. Um, and I have a, my kit is a 24-inch kick drum, so it's a rather large kick drum. And then... Um, uh, 13, 14, or 14, 15, and 16 toms. So it's kind of a large, it's, very, it's a very early, you know, late 60s, early 70s kind of rock drum, drum set. And then, um, and then I also have a mid-60s mid uh, Ludwig with, with the Ringo, the, the Blue Oyster Pearl um, finish. And, uh, but yeah, it's all about, for me, it's all about the snares, the big, the big six and a half snares. I don't, I don't ever use the five inch snares, but I use the big wooden six and a half, you know, WFL, Ludwig, Leedy, all that stuff. Mm. Those are the, the snare drums I'm all about. 
Beautiful. Now, I think literally everyone knows everything there is to know about Jason Faulkner after this interview. Um, oh, you haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> uh, what's, <laughs> what's the weirdest bit of merchandise you've seen your face on? Um, it's got to be a jellyfish thing, I'm guessing. Uh, well, there is a je- <laughs> I had to get it. I think I told him. It was, I pointed at it. I'm like, that's me. Can I have this? And he's like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I saw a record... I still have it. It's a boot. I don't even know if I've listened to it, but it's it's a picture of me. It's three pictures of me where I'm standing at the opening of an airplane. It's like an outtake from the from my uh, Can You Still Feel photo session out at this uh, airline uh, graveyard out in the desert. Um, and I'm kind of like at the where what the opening of the jet would be where you where you enter and exit the, the plane. And I'm looking at the camera, but the jet is like just dismantled. Um, there's a there's three of those in a row, and then it says jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a and very sure uh, yeah. Go for it. Sorry, I'm not even sure what's on it. I really should listen to it and see see what <laughs> songs are on it. I don't even know. It could be some really cool live thing. I have no idea. But uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. It was like just three pictures of me, and then it says I think it's. Just, God, what does it say? I'll, I'll have to find that. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a very uh, Jap- then, Japanese thing. That, like, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, my my favorite thing used to be going into uh, there. I I don't know if it still exists, but there was a place called Airs in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. That the whole the whole shop was bootlegs. Uh, it was bootleg. Uh, it was mainly DVDs as well, VHS and DVDs, and um, you know bands the, those that knew about that if if you were a band of any note and you went in there chances are they would have some bootlegs of your band mm-hmm. and so because it's completely it's a completely illegal operation right because they're all bootlegs and they're making they're selling them for a lot of money uh-huh. um they would give you stuff like pick please take five whatever you want or ten or so i went in there once and literally the guy was wearing my shirt and he was wearing a Jason Faulkner shirt and he freaked out so much. He <laughs> said, take, I, he, he literally gave me like 50 DVDs uh-huh. for free. <laughs> so I got, I got like the most amazing So It was great. That place was amazing. Uh, super. Um, but, uh, so uh, weirdest uh, body part you've ever had to sign. Um, or have you ever had to sign someone's pet or something like that? Uh, no, I never seen a pet, but I uh, I remember back. Uh, I think it was maybe my first solo record. I think I there was a a girl that had me sign her her chest, mm-hmm. but not you know you know like a higher up like collarbone kind of thing. Yeah. And I and I but it was like why uh, you know it was like right after a show and it was hot and. And I remember I just it was with a sharpie and it was just a scribble. I mean, it didn't even it completely illegible. And then the next time I saw her, she came and she showed me that it was a tattoo. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, and it it doesn't even look like it says anything. It just looks like a looks like a heart monitor thing gone wrong. <laughs> that that was by far the weirdest things you know signing and then what happened to it after being that that's on her body for the rest of her life yeah um i, I, th- I can't but remember flat, but flattering too but yeah i mean I, I can't remember if it was you i i somehow have accumulated a lot of signed jellyfish stuff without it actually you know 
actually getting it signed in person sort of thing. And they've got some like white labels. And I think that you signed one of them that says, this is illegal. You should not own this, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, that sounds like my, sounds like me. Yeah. That, that's what I, lo- I do love about the jellyfish signatures is that you didn't care what you wrote on those albums. Like <laughs> just like pictures of all kinds well, of, was- you know, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, we just, just, were just being goofy. I mean, I used to write, I remember there, there was, there were a couple of classics that I used way more than, way more than a few times. I think one, one of them was like, that's me in the corner, you know, little REM thing. Uh-huh. Um, or all that jazz and razzmatazz I used to say a lot, like just because it's some stupid, sounds like some stupid, like guys, uh, you know, um, scatting. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's all that kind of stuff that we used to, we used to do. We, we used to have a lot of fun doing that stuff because that was when we were in the presence of other people and not just ourselves. So, yeah. we would, so those were always kind of fun times, like you know, sitting at a table and signing stuff after a show or like an in-store. All those things were really fun. Well, I've got. A, I'm gonna have to. I want to get you to sign it, but I wasn't sure how you feel about signing like jellyfish stuff at this point. Do you care? Oh like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm. Of course, I'm happy to sign anything for you, man. Okay, that's good. Well, I see. I, I was able to get like one of those big promotional belly button posters, and it has everyone's signature by yours because maybe you had gone by that point when there was a radio right. tour or something going on, and. Uh, um, Andy's uh, signature right. says, uh, "Follow me to Eden. Eat this mushroom um, on the mushroom that's actually on there." Yeah. Um, and Chris's signature is probably one of the greatest signatures. Um, uh, what's the musical? Uh, if I was a rich man, no, 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 That's Fiddler on the Roof. Yes, he actually wrote all of that with all the na 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 nas. Right, oh, that's funny. So yeah, do you still have the the fringe trousers? Oh. Did you burn them a long time? No, ago? I don't. You know what? I lost. I lost a lot of that stuff. I actually lost some stuff that I was kind of, uh, you know, kind of upset to 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 lose. Um, I think certain people threw that stuff out that maybe that I lived with yeah. back in the day. <laughs> um, I had some really good like let like because my kind of image started changing because you know I, those those guys it was so like Brady Bunch and so kind of you know it was kind of like. Um, it was really very thrift store, which is where most of that stuff came from. But yeah. I started going, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to beat this. I've got to join it. Cause I, I actually had a problem with that whole interesting in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, and so you, if you see the difference between like, I look really awkward in the uh, King's half undress video because that's the first time I ever dressed up in all that Brady bunch stuff. And I was like kind of bummed out about it. Uh-huh. Um, by the second by the second video, I had kind of co-opted my own take on it, which was a bit more, you know, faces or something. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And uh, and then by the end of it, I my by if you look at like the Letterman thing we did, which is I think that's the last thing I did with the band mm-hmm. was David Letterman, um, and I'm wearing leather pants and like a furry <laughs> shirt, and it's more like. I like the honey. You know, it's kind of more uh, like the, a, the Cookie Monster kind of blue thing. Yeah, that that stuff was that was all my stuff. That wasn't like band stuff. The Cookie Monster thing was was a nod to Captain Sensible from the Dam. Uh, I don't know if you know what that guy looked like. Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, did you not but, nearly die under the lights wearing that thing? Or well, well, I didn't. I didn't wear that live very much because it was just yeah, it was it was oppressively hot. Um, <laughs> but but I but it was good good for photos. Um, and, uh, 
No, I mean the worst band, the worst live situation with the with the clothing and the heat was, man, we played this uh, MTV Spring Break thing at like Daytona Beach. Oh, I've seen it. In maybe nine. <laughs> yeah, you've probably seen that, but I don't know if this story is in the book. But man, we we had to like we played our two songs or whatever, and then somehow they got wind that we could like just kind of play any song like on on the spot like any kind of like we could just look at each other and go hey how about a uh you know carry on my wayward son or whatever you know and and we all kind of knew it enough to play you know 20 seconds of it so they had us they kept us on stage to go in and out of commercials like while there were other segments like across the crowd there was like you know uh, the 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 uh, yo yo mtv raps guys talking about hip-hop and stuff and and then they'd be like, and then they'd be like, okay, guys, in five, four, three, and then we had to play something. Uh-huh. So they kept they kept us on stage for hours when we were supposed to just play like two songs and then leave. <laughs> and we're wearing this like gr- grandpa's polyester stuff from the seventies that we all got at like thrift stores. So as soon as that stuff gets sweat on it, it smells like the prior owner. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's the most god awful feeling in the in that my and that uh florida humidity just on stage for hours it was incredible it was actually a really funny story oh that's amazing um well look i've I've, again we'll do part two maybe at some point when the when the album comes out um yeah man i'm I'm holding you to that see if you say it on air then that's kind of like a verbal contract scene I will, it's a contract. Um, so uh, before you go, uh, do you have a message uh, for your fans? Um, some advice, some life, oh, just, life advice, just all a, that kind of I stuff. Love, you know? I love you guys. I love everybody. Thank you for being patient with me and, and, and how uh, how long it takes between records. Uh, it's not intentional. It's, uh, you know, there's been a multitude of reasons why I haven't put out as much music as I would like to, but uh, there will be a lot more new music and uh just thanks for being patient that's exciting jason thank you so much for giving me far too much of your time um and you're so welcome my friend and allowing me to ask just about every ridiculous question under the sun but um yes thank you again (laughs) and i will uh we'll talk again soon okay brother thanks there's lots of little people to try and stop us but we don't have to listen they're nothing on us we sing our own recital We join the dots and win the prize Don't need an influence We go by how we feel inside And I'm crazy for you And the things that you do Well, I hate to sound pathetic If I don't, then I'll regret it When you look my way Well, it makes my day No, it makes my month, my century I guess that I just crazy for you I'd like to cook you dinner I'll have to learn first Unless you fancy pizza Or beans on burnt toast You ask me in for coffee I stopped in deep and dark despair The night I'm staying over I'm wearing cartoon underwear And I'm crazy for you Pathetic if I don't
of my century I guess that I'm just crazy for you was the lost boys a southampton based band southampton produces some amazing music uh featuring daniel ash lead singer and songwriter of that particular band um links below the show to find their music and i'll be back right after this the divorce album is a unique new concept from one of my favorite artists secret friend the divorce album is a unique concept split into two sides mine and yours Mine features six new songs from Secret Friend, and yours features those same six songs performed by six other artists. All of the songs are breakup songs, but let's face it, the best songs usually are. Featured artists include Taylor Locke, Sam Robson, Carla Kane, Wyatt Funderburk, Willie Wisely, a certain Roger Joseph Manning Jr., and many more. The Divorce Album is available now from your favourite streaming or download service. For more information, go to www.thedivorcealbum.com. Jason Faulkner, what a guy. I think I asked every question that could possibly be asked, uh, that you know, and stuff that he hasn't been asked before. I asked all of the, uh, or most of the listener questions that were put forward on the Jellyfish page, uh, joining a fan page. Uh, so I do appreciate it. I did consolidate questions because people did ask similar questions and some of them I asked myself anyway. So apologies if I didn't give you the shout out um, with your question. Uh, Jason will be back. Um, he enjoyed it, which is good because I worry about this stuff, you know, when, especially when you're talking to heroes and stuff. But, uh, you know, I said at the start of the interview as well that he's probably bored of doing them. I know they don't maybe do as many now, but I try to make it just a just a light chat, really, and slightly off the wall. And I'm influenced by certain podcasters like Richard Herring and uh, um, Kevin Smith and people like that. So hopefully, hopefully, you, you know, you enjoyed it. And if you did, subscribe, all of that. Check out previous episodes where I've interviewed like Tim Smith, 
Chris Manning, Eric Dover, Roger, uh, tons of artists, Chris Price, Fernando Potomo, um, you know, anyone you can think of, uh, Kate Brennan. And um, I, I, I dread to listen back to those old episodes now because maybe I'm not... I like to think I'm better now. You know, I've certainly got the hang of just not shutting up, which helps when you're uh, trying to do podcasts. So, uh, yes, thank you for listening. Uh, feedback always welcome and uh, again if you think i'm shit though just message me in person don't put it on the internet for everyone to see uh because it influences people in the wrong way like influence people in the right way tell them i'm amazing even if it's a lie i don't mind because once they're listening it's fine at that point um, <laughs> um and you, you know the whole deal subscribe like check out the sponsors um stops me from dying of hunger and homelessness i guess and uh, it also keeps the cats uh, accustomed to the better quality of life than what I'm leading at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking at Chutney over there. She's asleep. Um, look at you. I'm going to wake her up and just bother her. Maybe poke her a little bit and see what happens. Um, okay. Thank you again, and I will see you all next time. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.